My language makes me the kind of person I am today, which I learned from my old people, and my role as a teacher is to pass it on to whoever wants it, whether they are Māori or Pākehā. E nā iwi o te motu, e nā parikāranga rangatia nei te mihi ki a tātou katoa, ko Maraia Rakuraku tōku ingoa. And I'm Justine Murray, you're with Radio New Zealand's Kaupapa Māori programme, Te Ahika, offering up an exploration of things Māori. It's one of the official languages in Aotearoa New Zealand, and tomorrow kicks off Te Wiki o Te Reo Māori. Māori Language Week. And in the history of the programme Te Ahika, we have a special surprise. We have an online version all in Te Reo Māori. Woohoo! First ever. An opportunity whānau mā to enjoy the indigenous language of this country and embrace the uniqueness of Aotearoa New Zealand and kōrero Māori every day, whether it's starting off the day with a kia ora to your workmates. We're marking some of the more recent milestones in the lifespan of the Māori language through the experiences of who else but Māori. Miriam Kamo describes how she has felt not knowing her own language. It's the weirdest thing, you know, to go through life um, knowing what you're, what you're missing out on and, and not being able to speak your own language. That's the weirdest thing, and I think it's one of the hardest things for Māori who don't speak to either heads around. And I'm Justine Murray, and that's what we have for you this week on Te Ahika. It's thanks to a petition by Māori Sovereignty Group Ngā Tamatua in the 1970s that we now celebrate Te Wiki o Te Reo Māori. Through their work in Auckland Primary Schools, Ngā Tamatua members like Hana Tehemara, Hana Jackson, became angry at how anything Māori was dismissed as insignificant. So they gathered together a petition of 30,000 signatures and marched on Parliament. At our website, radionz.co.nz forward slash tehika, you'll see photos of Tehimara Jackson in the parliamentary grounds delivering the petition to the then Minister of Māori Affairs, Duncan McIntyre. And like dominoes, this led to a survey which led to iwi coming up with initiatives to rectify te reo Māori. Kia ora, Ngāti Raukawa, Ngāti Toa and Te Atiawa. Which led to the creation of Kohana Reo, early childhood centres and first language speakers like Noi Noi Pifairangi and Katarina Mataira creating Te Atarangi, a Māori language learning programme. And then there's the revolutionary Waitangi Tribunal Claim Y11 that resulted in the Māori Language Act in 1987 recognising Te Reo Māori as an official language and set up the Māori Language Commission, Te Taurawhiri i Te Reo Māori. Which eventually led to what we now enjoy as a television channel dedicated to Te Reo Māori programming, Te Reo. And while we may take that all for granted now, what's important to remember is that while all those things have been going on, generations of Māori have found ways and means to reconnect with a language that was often thrashed out of them. 
as was the case with my grandparents and parents. What about yours, Justine? Yeah, well, the cordial from my mum and dad is that when they went to school, they got the slap on their hand from the teacher for using Māori words. And then usually when they went home, they got growled at home for speaking English. So there's a lot of mixed messaging going on there, eh? So marry that with an attitude that te reo Māori has no value and you get to our generation, eh, Justine? I'd, uh, where if you're a certain age, say at school, prior to 1980, missed the start of kohanga reo, kura kaupapa, wharekura. Which means there's a whole lot of Māori of a certain age who didn't grow up with any te reo Māori. Though that number's slowly diminishing as more Māori reconnect with their language. And get this, Pākehā are as well. Like what happened to you, eh, Justine? I know, Mariah. So earlier this week, I started my Te Reo Māori classes because I really personal goal to be around Te Reo Māori. So I walked to my class for Te Reo Polytechnic and I looked through the window and I was like, oh, okay, is this my class? And I saw, the first thing I saw were elderly men, Pākehā, wearing corporate business suits. And I thought, I've come to the wrong class. It's Accounting 101. <laughs> And so I walked in there and then I heard a voice, Kevin, our tutor, saying, Kia ora, no mai haramai. I walked in, there were 30 of us, there were about 20 Pākehā, women and men, um, and about 15, 13 Māori learning the language. And I was pleasantly surprised. So and that's heartening, eh? That was heartening. while it's a language that's indigenous to this country, and as Māori, we're indigenous to this country, mm. it's heartening to see that Pākehā recognised the value of te reo Māori as well. Exactly. I mean, it was it was too meke. Aye, aida. And you're about to hear from a number of Māori whose knowledge of te reo Māori varies, yet they all have in common a determination to secure te reo Māori as a living language. We have musician Heniwehi Mohi, who's singing of the New Zealand anthem in Te Reo at the opening of the Rugby World Cup in 1999 caused a stir. Jim Mather, whose urban upbringing in Auckland didn't exactly set in stride for him his future career as the head of Māori television. And television presenters Stacey Daniels and Miriam Akamo, whose careers and indeed reconnection with Te Reo Māori has followed similar paths. First up, we have Irima Hinare, Chairperson of Te Tauraferi Te Reo Māori, the Māori Language Commission. Well, the Commission um, was established in 1987, following on from a claim to the Waitangi Tribunal <coughs> about the parlous state of the Māori language. Um, and it was established ostensibly... Uh, there were two things that emerged from the Act. One was the establishment of the Commission, and the other was the granting of uh, uh, legal status to Te Reo Māori in uh, courts uh, and in public dealings throughout the country. Well, the NGCR survey conducted by um, Dr. Richard Benton back in uh, 1973 to 75. <clears throat> they found out there were some 90,000-odd uh, native speakers of Te Reo Māori. Um, today that number is uh, 7,000 and dropping at an alarming rate. So I guess one of the Commission's major achievements is, is to create the awareness uh, amongst our people that the language is dying and it is in the future of our hands. Uh, if we want the language to survive. Um, 
there have been, as you know, since that time, a lot of initiatives that have occurred to support the retention and revitalization of the language. But according to international um, uh, experts in languages, it takes a generation to lose a language and three to get it back. And so what generation are we are we at in this present time? Well, <laughs> we've lost it a long time ago in terms of it being uh, the normal language of conversation in Māori mm. homes. So we're probably in the third or fourth generation uh, since those early um, impacts of colonisation. Um, but probably if we take Apira Nangata's time, because I guess this is the the time when we were being urged to take English up as the main language and and people claimed that they were being ill-treated at school because they spoke Māori. So there's probably three generations to now and only now are we beginning to make headway with uh, your generation, actually. (laughs) With your generation. Yeah. uh, Who seems helping on the language surviving, you know, so you can see the uphill struggle that not only the Commission has, but we as Māori have, if this language is to survive and live for many more years to come. Um, when I think about my uh, family, um, all of us speak Māori. Uh, Māori was the language of our home. Our father insisted on that. English was for school, Māori for the home. Um, but I'm the only one who all of my kids speak te reo. Um, My sisters and brothers didn't make that a priority for them, you know. So, And that's how easily, I guess, it um, slides. I've got two, uh, two brothers and three sisters. Uh, two of them married fluent speakers, but what they didn't do was talk to their children and their grandchildren in te reo. That's where it starts to break down. Why was that so? Uh, well, no, I'm the baby of the family, so most of my nephews and nieces are my age, you know, up in their 50s, so oh. the couple wasn't around <laughs> at that time. Some of them oh. are now trying to address that by going to Kurikaupapa, but what I'm pointing out is it need not have happened if 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 folks had it just, if my brothers and sisters had it just spoken Māori at home. And we uh, talk often, of course, through modern medium, texting, emailing. <laughs> well, texting, you can yes. do it in te reo, ne? There's some... Yeah, yeah, patuhi, yeah, absolutely, we do that. And uh, <clears throat> it's a great time, but um, you know, the problem is uh, when my sisters and and brothers die out, then, you know, their children, I can't continue the same conversations with their children because only mine speak Māori. Mm. Kia ora, Enima. What's the reason for Te Wiki o Te Reo Māori? Well, Te Wiki o Te Reo Māori follows a petition delivered in the early 70s by uh, Hannah Jackson and a group of other tamaiti and others around the sad state of Te Reo Māori. Uh, and uh, they thought that uh, a good uh, initiative to raise people's awareness about Te Reo and about... Uh, the need to learn te reo was to uh, have a week, one week in the year that uh, supports uh, te reo Māori. And since then, of course, as you see on uh, in all media now, everyone is picking it up, newspapers, television, 
you know, you see um, your morning report using it every week of the year now. Uh, you'll see Simon Dallow and others use it often. You'll see Air New Zealand starting to use it often. So it has had an impact on awareness about Te Reo. Uh, Te Tauta Fidi, of course, would like it to move to 52 Māori language weeks in every year. Aye. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's hey, that's the goal. where we're aiming next year. Jim Mather. The, the key focus for Māori television and my role is to strengthen Te Reo Māori. Uh, since the launch of Māori television in 2004 to this time, we have broadcast 60% of our programmes in the Māori language. We are pleased that the viewership of Māori television has continued to increase, and at this time 1.6 million people watch Māori television each month. However, it's very important for us to continue contributing to the work of other Māori organisations working to strengthen our language, such as iwi radio organisations, the Māori Language Commission, the Māori education system and so forth. Um, Jim, you, you come from a business background, don't you? Correct, yes. So, I mean, how was the transition of coming from a business background into the CEO of Māori Television? What was that tra- transition period like for you? Well, there was a period of approximately six months whereby I... Um, focused on learning about the, um, the television business, um, the television industry and the roles of the various stakeholders and obviously the, um, the internal workings of Māori television. But um, I have found the transition to have been quite smooth because the principles of running a successful organisation are very much the same in any um, sector and I've always held the view that um, if you can get the uh, people issues um, um, aligned and and sorted out and working well, then everything else tends to fall into place soon after. And Jim, I suppose um, what I'm trying to... Um, I mean, you come from a corporate background and obviously with Te Reo Māori being something that's very, very personal yes. um, for, for all races to learn as the language of Aotearoa, how do you fit um, in the scheme of things... Um, in terms of, of your learning in, in the Māori language? Oh, well, that was a, an important aspect of coming to Māori television for me and a significant attraction was the opportunity to uh, reconnect in terms of uh, you work in the private sector. It's very um, non-Māori, um, clearly. And so being able to work for an organisation that um, had a strong focus on revitalising and and um, strengthening our language and culture um, uh, was very important to me. And um, certainly I've had to upskill and improve. And uh, as a second language learner, um, uh, you tend to very strongly cherish and, uh, and want to reclaim um, that part of um, your identity and... Um, the um, the importance of it is, is much clearer to you. So, yeah, it's been a very um, personal journey for, for me in terms of the, um, uh, the real um, reclamation aspects of the role, but also um, being able to contribute to an organisation that's very, very important for both Māoridom and uh, wider New Zealand. You know, your, your background, were you brought up in, in, in the Māori language? Uh, no, I wasn't. I was uh, very fortunate in that um, um, I had an opportunity to live with my grandparents um, in Te for three years when I was um, 
Māori upbringing. But um, as I said, I was sent to live with my grandparents in Kiteko for three years and um, and had exposure to the language and culture at that time. I went to um, uh, Kiteko School and um, and it was a very um, uh, Māori environment, uh, both in the wider community and and at that school and. Uh, so my queer was um, a fluent speaker of Te Reo and and uh, and and only ever spoken Māori uh, in the home, whereas my kuro, who worked at the Caxton um, printing mill, um, was um, the English speaker um, uh, because he went out into the workforce and engaged. So I was very fortunate to have to have that exposure. But returning to a urban um, environment um, at an early age um, doesn't um, foster that good base of learning I had at that time. Yeah, so I was um, uh, yeah, brought up in Māngere, went to live in Titeko for three years, returned back to um, uh, Ōtara where we were at that, that time and then after uh, three years there moved back to Māngere so, um, and basically the, the balance of my life here in, in Auckland, and uh, and uh, having worked in you know the private sector for a long time, um, it um, uh, doesn't have any of the the um, um, priorities of um, you know cultural language retention. Obviously, that uh, that you get working for an organisation such as Māori Television or other Māori organisations. In your opinion, your whakaro, how much of your, your Māori identity is determined by the language? Well, I think a significant part of, of um, your identity is the language and the culture. And, uh, and I think you can be strong in your culture and, um, and clearly identify as Māori, but I think um, uh, the basis of language is communication and uh, having the ability to communicate um, in your language um, is really important in terms of um, identifying and and being Māori, in, in my personal opinion, and um, very uh, important um, for those that are on this journey of, um, of cultural identification to... Um, Know, make the effort to to uh, reconnect if they don't have the proficiency already with their um, uh, language, and um, and that opens doors that I think um, can't be done. For example, I went back to a Fano reunion in Tiwhiko two years ago, and um, and I found that I was able to sit down with uh, Komatu and Queer and and Kōrero Māori with them, and um, and I was able to engage much more um, strongly than many of my whanaunga who, who didn't have that ill, and, and I tended to observe that their conversations were very short. And um, so for me, it was sort of like um, having some proficiency in thrill enabled me to um, engage on a level that um, others weren't so but it was going back to your question um, I do think it's an important part of your identity to be able to communicate 
So, Jim, um, Tuikio Te Reo Māori happens this Sunday, but it must be like Māori Language Week every week for Māori Television, eh? Well, it is, and, and <laughs> we we see every day is Māori Language Day, and every week is Māori Language Week, and uh, and that's one of the reasons why the Māori Language um, Week um, awards we don't um, submit entries for that in the television category. We just take the view that um, that competition is for the the other television organisations that don't um, or are unable to treat every week as Māori Language Week, and so we just. Um, recognise and celebrate, you know, their efforts. Uh, Stacey, the decision to learn te reo Māori, um, when did the penny drop and how did you begin that journey of, of learning the Māori language? The first thing for me was really when I lived in Japan as an exchange student and I was about 17 years old and it struck me that it was so odd that I was learning someone else's language before I could learn my own. And I think it was something that I always felt. It was like, a, um, I guess, a, a hole or a whakama, something embarrassing to me that I couldn't speak Māori. And it was something that sort of gnawed away at me and, and it wasn't until I learnt how much you gain by learning the, a second language that I realised that that was something I needed to do. But then I had to do it in a really piecemeal kind of fashion and part of that was embarrassing myself on national television relatively often, um, you know, not being able to speak Māori. But I, I tried to be open about it in the hope that there were other people like me, particularly of my generation, who were in the same situation and wanted to do something about it. And um, language growing up in in, um, in the South Christchurch, yeah, Christchurch language wasn't um, part of the, the the home, but it was with with your with your nanny. Uh, yeah, well, my um, my kuya, my grandmother is from Tauranga, and she grew up with the deal. And she's actually a teacher, but I didn't hear it much. And I think it was particularly of that time. If you think I'm 36 now, a lot of people then didn't think that it was going to be relevant. Um, and I know my dad didn't particularly follow those ways at all. I mean, it's been a wonderful part of the journey for us is that we both did the um, uh, Tin Lemusian course together, my father and I. So it's about probably the change of the landscape of New Zealand as well and how much we thought it was relevant. And, and this is probably, in a, I think what people might not realise is, is that spiritually, you, I mean, I definitely felt something lost when I didn't have the language, and it is satisfied by being able to speak Māori because it's a different part of expression but it's also a connection to your culture and to your ancestors and so that's something that's been an ongoing journey and I only, only I realise now that I'm just always going to be learning, it doesn't stop. So Stacey, you, um, even though you're working in Auckland, um, Auckland you made the decision to, to go back to um, th- to your hokainga and learn the kaitahu dialect, ne? Yeah, well that was a great opportunity and kaitahu's good at um, putting down platforms to learn the language. Um, it was important to me to go home, and my dad lived in Christchurch at the time, um, to learn the language, to get the particular dialect, um, to learn about what was happening. And, and you just, you can't expect to, to be a part of your iwi if you're really not there. Um, so although I do live in Auckland, I, I wanted to to learn, and you know, in, in the land that means a lot to me, and where, where I was brought up, and where um, you can feel my my bones are, and also I think it's extremely important when you learn the language to find a teacher that suits you. 
Um, and Hanori Regan was someone that I knew I was going to learn well under, because she's a second language as, as well, uh, language learner as well, and she's just got a style that really works for me. So I've discovered that you really need to follow the teacher that works for you, and she was one of the reasons why I wanted to do that. So, Stacey, I mean, we've seen you on telly for the best part of 20, 20 or so years. You know, you've been the hip, you know, the what now, my time, and obviously behind the scenes um, producing, directing, researching. How has discovering your taha Māori, I mean, it's always been there, simmering, how has this changed you? Well, that's the thing is that, I mean, no one has a right to decide how Māori you are depending upon whether you have uh, the real Māori or not. But I do find it's a different expression. It's um, uh, probably there is some spiritual significance in learning your language and also just to feel more settled in yourself um, when you can go to hui and understand what people are saying. I mean, I just was probably someone who's very sensitive to feeling, um, you know, inadequate if that I didn't because I just felt like that was something I needed to do. So I knew it was very significant for me. Um, and it's probably you know, irrevocable in terms of my career now because it's given me so many more opportunities. You know, I've, I've learned along the way, but a lot of the programs that I've worked on have, have had a Māori focus. I'm also realistic about what that means in terms of whether you get um, mainstream gigs, and perhaps I didn't and, um, because of that, but it's something that I think has worked out exactly how it was supposed to for me, and I feel like now um, the landscape of New Zealand and New Zealand television is quite different, and people who, you know, who are coming through now are going to have, um, I guess, a lot more bilingual experience. It's just a lot more natural to include Māori language and culture. Ko Miriam Makamuahau, uh, ki te taho tōku paua, ko uh, Ngātimutunga te iwi, ko tōku maru te waka, ko Urenui te marae, ko Taranaki te maunga, um, ki te taho tōku taua, ko Kaitahu te iwi, ko Takitimu te waka, ko te whekei te marae, ko Auraki te maunga. Oh, kia ora, Miriam. Now, most people are familiar with seeing you on our television screens, on Television One. Is it this year that you decided that you'd learn Te Reo Māori? I, I've been wanting to do it for years, of course. Um, you know, I grew up in Marae. Um, the, the, the Reo is, is no stranger to me. I'm familiar with, you know, the cadence of it and, and the sound of it and the, it being around it. Um, but I just haven't learned how to speak it before now and um, I, it was something that I have always had to do and this year was it was a good year for me to find the time to really knuckle down and really spend the time on doing it so um, I chose to do Te Atarangi um, on the North Shore <clears throat> and that has been that's just been brilliant it, for me it's the best way to learn I've done a lot of um, you know I did a bit of Māori at um, university um, and then I've done, you know, the odd night course here and there. But being a journalist, you get sent away so often that it's really hard to commit to any course of study. So I decided this year that I'd move my schedules um, and really make the room to, to learn um, the real. It's the best thing I've ever done. In your time as a journalist, Miriam, did you find that Māori, what were their responses to you when they learned that perhaps you weren't as matatau i te reo as maybe they were? Uh by and large, um, fine. People have been um, have been fine with it, and I think partly that's to do with um, their recognition, I guess, or my um, 
projecting that I'm comfortable in the Māori world. Uh, but, you know, there have been a couple of times where, where um, there have you know, been little snitches and little attacks here and there, nothing major, nothing that I have not been able to handle. But sure, you know, there, there have been times when it's been a bit uncomfortable and <clears throat> those moments aren't the ones that have driven me to learn Māori or because it's, in my mind, is my right to learn Māori or when I'm ready to learn it. Um, they do give you a little nudge. They do get you to a point where you think, okay, I, you know, I think maybe I'm, I'll need to find the time to really, um, really uh, learn this language and, and um, make it my own. What about working in the media industry? Have you found that the response has, over the years, has changed in terms of people who can speak Māori and people who can't? Yeah, yeah, Māori TV has made a, um, a really big difference. Uh, I mean, there are really obvious things which have made a, f- a huge difference. The kohanga uh, movement, for example, uh, kūta kaupapa, that sort of thing. So I have noticed more people coming through um, who can um, kōrero Māori. But, um, and I guess um, I have noticed also, which is, this is something that's been really great, is that a lot of Pākehā broadcasters really... Um, want to pronounce Māori correctly, whereas there was a time, and it wasn't so long ago, where um, it was rare to find a, a Pākehā broadcaster who um, could pronounce Māori correctly. Um, and now I find that um, most most of my um, colleagues want to um, say these things, say, you know, they want to pronounce Māori correctly, they want to be correct, they recognise that if they aren't um, pronouncing it correctly, then they are factually incorrect. And, um, I mean, it's not all of them, but I think we've come a long way in recent years. Miriam, you mentioned that you grew up around a marae. Ah, yeah. Um, Rapaki mainly and uh, Rehua, uh, both in Christchurch. Um, and, yeah, we, we did we did all our kapahaka there when we were kids. And um, my father's parents were um, very strong in their, you know, in their community. And so they took us to the marae all the time. My parents took me to the marae, took all of us, five kids, to the marae. Um, and we, you know, we lived we lived our, our Māori-ness, which was great. But that didn't stem over into learning te reo Māori, having no. it as your first language. Why yeah. do you think that is? Well, I think, um, you know, for my grandparents, um, they didn't want my father to, you know, it was that old um, line of thought that, you didn't want to, it sounds terrible now, but you didn't want to disadvantage your children. You wanted them to have every opportunity. And for my grandparents and a lot of people of their generation, they wanted their children um, to have all the opportunities that they saw all other children um, getting, you know, non-Māori children. So um, while my grandparents could call it all Māori, they didn't pass it on to their own kids. Um, mind you, they were, as I said, really strong on the marae and they took all their children to the marae and... and um, you know, my father's family were very strong and kapahaka competitive, and um, uh, but they, yeah, they didn't learn. They didn't learn to to speak, and I guess we, you know, that just sort of um, fed into the next generation. And but all of the kids um, in my my whānau, in my extended whānau, almost all of them have taken the time and made the effort to um, fill that gap. So tell me, what is it about the Atarangi that really appeals to you? Oh, it's like I said, it's one of the best things I've ever done. Um, every day I go to school from nine till three. Um, we call it all Māori um, the whole day, um, and 
I think when you spend that much time with people, they start to feel like your family. They, be, you know, they they become important people to you. Um, so, uh, you know, and there's no one in my class that I that I don't feel really great about. You know, sometimes there's the odd one or two and you think, ah, crikey, these ones, this group of people are really special, and I'm just so so blessed that I've um, managed to to land in their midst. Um, and my kayako are fabulous teachers. Just absolutely, like I say, I cannot rave. Kuai te kaiako? Kuai te ingoa te kaiako? Uh, ko ona. Um, Ngeria um, is one of the po of, uh, of um, Taipari and her husband, Winiata. Um, we also have um, th- three, four actually, fabulous kaiako, uh, one for the first and one for the second year. We have Ona, who's just beautiful, wonderful teacher, and she's um, helped by two kaiawhino who are Oh, listen to me. Uh, all I can do is just rave about them. But um, Lena and Gail, and um, they, are, are, you just couldn't ask for better, better teachers. Very clear, very professional, um, just excellent uh, teachers that really care about passing on their knowledge. When you walked in, did you feel whakama? Oh, I. Do not whakama. I think I still do, actually. Um, well, the thing is, I think you, when you learn a new language, and particularly when it's your own um, rio and you don't know it and you're an adult and you you realise how much you don't know and how silly and ridiculous that is, um, the thing is you you can't afford to have an ego. You just have to give in to that and go, well, blimmin' heck, I didn't get it. And I didn't he, he, it. Hi. Yeah, I wish I had, but um, but that's just the way it's it's been. And now I have to... Kōrero Māori and mangle it like mad until I can get it right, and that's the biggest. That's one of the biggest challenges, actually, is, is just to keep on speaking, even when you know that um, you're making a real hash of it. <laughs> Once you aren't speaking to your classmates, you just feel so like we were saying, fuck them Exposed. Up. Yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. you suddenly realise, oh gee, I don't know really how to string these sentences. Okay, cool. All right. So, um, kei te ako te reo Māori ahau ki te kūro taipari ki. Um, te Atarangi, kei te North Shore, um, tino, tino pai, tino um, rawe oku kayako me ngā um, tauira o, o tēnā kura. Um, te whānau o uh, Taipari ki tōku whānau pēnei, nai nei. Um, kei te ako um, te reo Māori, he poto te wā, um, hoi anō e hari ahau... Um, ite araroa because uh, uh, ke te timata o tēnei tau kaore e, e mohi o te reo Māori kaore uh, kōrero um, ahau ki te reo Māori nai nei um, he kōrero ahau i a rā i a rā um, and he, he tino pai uh, tēnā um, uh, I kaore e tika i maha toku reo hoi anō. Kei te paraka he tihia um, rā i rā uh, <laughs> e pai tēnei i rā i rā ne. Um, yeah, ai, so, um, yeah, kei, te, kei te roa te ara. Um, nā reira, tino pai te ara. Ai, uh, kia ora te whānau, ko Miriama Kamo ahau. Ko hina wehi mohi ahau no ngā tikahungunu ki heretaunga me ngai tūhoi. Oh, kia ora hini wehi. Now, it's hard to believe, eh, that 10 years ago, 
you sang the New Zealand anthem in Te Reo Māori at the Rugby World Cup in England. Do you think much has changed since then? Well, interestingly, I was talking with this um, to a colleague who's looking at 50 years of of television and the influence that television's had. And it's a very powerful medium, so even though I was singing on the other side of the world, I could still be heard over here. And um, interestingly, I had equally as um, joyful and um, and annoyed um, response, both um, from home as well as from um, people that uh, that were over in the UK. And it, it was quite a shocking thing. Every now and then I think that maybe we haven't come that far. And um, when I'm rung even as recently as a few months ago to say um, what I felt about the, the anthem still being sung in both languages because some of the old rugby legends have said, oh, maybe we should just drop the Māori version and, and stick with the English version because it's too long now. So that kind of thing makes me think, oh, my goodness, we really um, have a lot of work yet to do in terms of language and culture and an appreciation for ourselves and all our uniqueness. Yeah, because you did suffer some backlash from it, eh? I did indeedy. And I still get people talking about it. And and I, I guess because for me it wasn't such a big deal. I mean, it was it was appropriate for me in, in that context, I thought, to be singing a Māori because it was just at the, um, the launch of my fully Māori um, album that I released um, at home and in the UK. So it seemed to to be the right thing to do but and I was really proud but <laughs> clearly there were some people that felt uh, it didn't include them which is outrageous really when you think that you know um, my language and culture and all its its beauty is, is a part of this country and if you're from this country then you share in all of that the good, the bad and the ugly <laughs> so yeah so it was disappointing but I suppose um, I, I get a little bit out of the zone in terms of how other people may perceive the language and what priority it takes for them because I'm so focused on on giving Māori, um, uh, you know, just a better status in this country. So I work um, in television to on Māori language programming that, that I'm really committed to. And, and so when someone... Um, who's lived in this country all their lives still isn't down with the copa, but I get surprised. And how is it that you became that focused? Um, on copa for Māori things, I think um, I um, was really guided into to it by my father. And um, he was 30 and I was 20, uh, 10 when he first started learning Māori because he had grown up in a generation where they didn't have the deal back home and so um, he went into it with full gusto and I could see his passion for it and and because there was nothing around, even at 10 I could see that there was a real need to you know, have some sense of pride about um, who we are and where we come from and a, a better understanding of that so he guided me towards university I went to St Joseph's Māori Girls College first, and that's where I learned to sing, and um, and certainly it was the the grounding of of my love for 
for Waiata and and also for Brazil and and Tikanga issues relating to Māori. So I went on to Waikato University and I was really lucky because I struck a great um, number of Māori lecturers who were very dedicated and had so much knowledge. And um, Who were they, Hinewehi? I had Timothy Karetu um, and Rehuia Melroy. And when I first started... So you had the big guns. Yeah, yeah. But when I first started at Waikato, um, John Rangiho was still there. Oh, yeah. Still alive. So it was um, a real pleasure to, to, even though we didn't appreciate it so much <laughs> at the time, because, you know, we were just finding our way. As, um, and I was 17, so I was, I was pretty young and naive. But now I look back and think, you know, we were really exposed to the creme de la creme of, of Māori knowledge and understanding for that time. And they were still quite young then, you know. <laughs> it was 20-odd uh, years ago, so it was um, really awesome and I was really lucky to be a part of that. Well, there was another person and a real inspiration for me was Hedini Melbourne. And, um, you know, he taught me all about Rokotodi and, and the significance of that and, and her as an ancestress and, and, and just an appreciation for um, using language to create a rhythm and create sound, and and I, I got a, a hell of a lot out of that. And, and <clears throat> I think the thing about Hidden was that he was so humble and um, always um, encouraged anyone, no matter you know what their deficiencies with um, pitch or or anything was. He was always really supportive and encouraging. And he was a hard case as well because he, he always used to get mixed up when his classes were. So he was invariably in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> you know, he had a lot of laughs at his expense. <laughs> so when you were growing up, Te Reo Māori became part of your life when you were around 10 years old? Yeah. So yeah, you wouldn't have been part of the Kohana Reo generation? No, no. I was, uh, I'm was. i too old. I'm nearly 45. So I missed that um, that. Exciting but um, tenuous kind of beginning to regaining our culture, and I think we're still we've still got issues with Maori education right from the babies up to um, the adults because the teaching resource is so thin on the ground. And I think the the book resources have improved tenfold since I uh, certainly since I started learning Maori as a ten year old, and my dad signed me up on the correspondence school program. And, um, you know, we were using Hwani Waititi's books, uh, the... The Rangatira um, series. Yeah. Oh, Rangatahi. Yeah. So, you know, Tamahai and there we go. <laughs> Nikki was the, the way we learnt to speak Māori. And and it was it was really old-fashioned even for that time. You know, it was sort of written in the 60s for a 60s kind of rural setting and rural um, student. And although I was a student, student living in the country, I still kind of um, felt it, um, um, it was a little bit sort of um, pedestrian, but it was probably really sound in it, its most basic form. It's terribly sophisticated now in terms of the way that you can, ways, all the, the breadth and depth of different ways you can learn to speak Māori is amazing. How did St Joseph's Māori Girls College foster your te reo Māori? 
It was really um, important to me because um, I hadn't had, before that, I really hadn't had much exposure to waiata. And so I just loved it. I loved it with a passion. I lived for every moment that we we had um, in um, concert party, we used to call ourselves, not kapahaka. <laughs> we used to call ourselves the concert party and we used to have... Um, not a party, but a fairly grilling kind of uh, regime of rehearsal. And um, I really thrived on it, though, because it really um, stimulated me and also challenged me in, in my learning of the waiata. And, um, and not much in the way of traditional stuff, but more of the contemporary waiata, ringa and poi and, and some haka. And um, and a little bit of choreography just to you know, sort of move us around the stage a bit, but nothing too complicated. And and um, it, it was my world, and I really loved it. And of course, the language um, fosters that, and, and is a, a, um, very much a complementary part of the way it and the melody. So it was all part and parcel of my growth and development. But St Joseph's is a very special and unique place to grow. To, to especially spend your teens in because it fosters the idea that Māori women are really strong and powerful and um, and so it wasn't until I, I left the, the safe haven of St Joseph's that I suddenly realised oh well actually um, there is a bit of different thinking out there and mm. um, and um, but you know still I was in a, a safe haven in terms of the Māori language and, and um, the Māori Department of the Waikato University. So really, when I, I um, truly went out to work in the big wide world, it was a bit of a shock <laughs> because I was sheltered in, in the cocoon of everything positive about being Māori. So waiata was the hook-in, was the hook-in to te reo? I think so. For me, um, I um, when I left Waikato, I, I still felt like I didn't um, have... Um, confidence to speak um, as fluently as I would have expected and I, I think I had a lot of knowledge but perhaps um, lacked in, in confidence and, and you know it's an academic um, setup so you're you're not um, having the same sort of interaction as you would at a smaller kind of classroom setting like maybe the Wānanga and, and Wānanga Aotearoa and those kinds of contexts this is you know very much sitting um, in big um, lecture halls and um, uh, less so for the um, the more sort of advanced classes of the real but but still it was it was set up like a university structure and so when I left Waikato I um, went with my dad to some Wānanga Raukawa their total immersion um, weeks that they they I think they still run them, and that was amazing to get into a a context where you only spoke Maori and to feel quite liberated by your ability to communicate. You know, albeit a bit sort of probably incorrect <laughs> and <laughs> you know blemishes and all because we're all students and everyone's at the same level, Nina. Yeah, mm. yeah, pretty much. There were there were some um, newbies that found it all a bit overwhelming, but. Um, it was just nice to just speak about everyday things without getting too sort of academic and and um, heavy. 
Yeah. Kivion it. So it was really great, and, and then I went back to Waikato and, and with the help of um, my colleagues who was in my master's class at Waikato, we set up some wānanga, and, and that was a lot of fun. Um, I, I sort of um, went away from university for a bit and started on television and then came back um, for a, another another stab at it and started my master's, and that's when I started getting involved with setting up Wānanga, and they were awesome. It was really great, really um, um, a, a great way forward, and um, I think that when you see people in Wānanga mode, they, feel, they really feel like they're using the language rather than just some kind of uh, showpiece that they haul out every now and then when they need to do a mihi-mihi or something. Mm. Because some people don't necessarily associate the deal with fun activities, eh? Yes, that's Especially right. when it comes to learning it. I'm not very good at learning with intensity. I need, I need to have a bit of a laugh. And it, it creates a scene, a situation where the language becomes a living language. I do. And, um, and we have to be very careful that we don't get too elitist with our, our use of the language as well as the situations where we set up learning. And there's lots of different avenues now for learning the, the real and there's there's the um, the high end with Panekiretanga and, and mm. Kurareo down at Waimarama. And then there's lots of wānanga that different iwi have run themselves. And, and, you know, there's lots of learning institutions that you can go to other than universities. So it's, it's really awesome. He newe he mohi, ending the kōrero that featured Jim Mathers, Stacey Morrison, Miriam Kamo and Eri Mahinare. Kia ora tato. Now, being te wiki o te reo Māori, there's all sorts of ways you can kōrero i te reo Māori, speak the Māori language. And one of the first things you need to do is build up your vocab, which you can do by learning a Māori word every day. Kuna he kupu Māori i ara, i ara. So, why not spend an hour or so of each day speaking solely in te reo Māori this week? And it doesn't just need to be speaking either. You can put on a CD of Wata Māori and sing your way through a whole hour. If you go to our website, radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika, there's links to websites that will help you out. Ko te waiata whakamutunga, nga whirimako black, kei hea takureo, ko te ingoa o te waiata nei. Kiwa ia no kua tai anō mātou ki te mutunga a te ahika. He mihi tēnei ki nga kai kōrero i tēnei wiki, ki a Gareth Simo, te kai awhina, te tauraferi i te reo Māori, ki aura. Ki nga kai rā wiki wiki mihini, ki aura rā. Ki nga hua mahi, kai te reo irirangi o Aotearoa, ki aura. Hoki mai anō a tērā wiki e te iwi, kau wei wariwari ki te kōrero Māori i ngā wā katoa. Mauri ora tātou katoa.